Welcome to Strategy Saturday. I'm Charles Crillo, and today we're going to be discussing what is the best real estate investing strategy. So in order to distill the best real estate investing strategy, it is important first to find what your goals are as an investor. Is it quick money, long-term cash flow, appreciation mainly, or appreciation and cash flow, which is our goal? Next, what is your target return? For us, a cash on cash return of 7% to 10%, and higher for smaller properties is what we shoot for in our underwriting. And uh, that has to be defined by you before you start so you know what type of properties and what type of deals will work for you. So first off, speculation, solely appreciation. And uh, this is really like buying properties and hoping that they go up in value one way or another. And uh, higher than average chance of losing your initial investment and wildly volatile returns. If there's a pullback, you run the risk of losing a portion of your investment. Uh, next is flipping houses. So you're purchasing distressed properties, renovating and reselling. You are building value in the property, but the financing is expensive and very short term. You need to be able to manage people and it's very transactional. So what this means is that you have a very short window when you're flipping houses to make a profit. Most flippers that are professionals try to have it gone within 100 days of the time that they're buying it, uh, having it sold within 100 days. Uh, I think it's more acceptable really to think of a three to six month time frame to sell it. But um, when you're doing your underwriting, you're hoping that the market's going to be the same on day one as it is on day 180 when you're trying to sell it. So that's very risky because you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, if you start holding the property over that 180 days, you run the risk of really building up a lot of expenses between all the holding costs, but mainly the financing will eat you alive with most hard money lending. Next is wholesaling properties. And uh, it's not really investing. I mean, you need to be a great marketer and you may need to be licensed, but it's very transactional. And you're, you're finding distressed properties, putting under contract and selling and or assigning the contracts. And uh, this is a way a lot of people get in because there's minimal money required. There's a ton of negative, just negative publicity around wholesaling because of how people do it. And I think that people don't know what they're really doing when they're doing it. And that's why it's going to push. And I think in years to come, you will need to be a licensed real estate agent to do wholesaling. Longer term investments. So real estate investment trusts, and there's diversification, there's low valuations, consistent rental yields, all can be obtained by allocating capital into a small basket of firms that own and manage investment properties for the sole purpose of generating profits. Uh, you know, these REITs can be purchased just like any other stock via an investment account, and it's completely passive. It's a great way for you to get involved in real estate investing with uh, little money. And the return, REITs have outperformed the S&P 500 over the past 20 years and 30-year periods, respectively. So real estate investment partnerships, syndications, and joint ventures. And this is what we do. And a real estate investment partnership is made up of individual investors who pool their money together to invest in real estate. The operators are general partners and the investors are limited partners, aka passive investors. A syndication has active and passive investors and joint ventures have only active investors. Now that's very important because if you wanna have passive investors, that means people that aren't making decisions in the deal, you need to do a syndication, no matter how large or small the deal is. Joint ventures need to have everybody being active investors. So you can't have passive investors in joint ventures. And you need to perform due diligence just like with any other investment, but it can be completely passive if you are a passive investor in one of the deals. Passive investments that I have, I spend probably an hour a year 
reviewing those deals. And obviously, if there's an issue, I'm going to reach out to the operator. But if there's not, I just collect my quarterly returns. So what are you looking at when you are going to, when you're vetting a operator? Well, what has been the historical annual return of the operator's properties? Remember, when reviewing past returns, they are not a prediction, a prediction of future performance. And that's very important, especially where we are right now in this market cycle, because people will show you all these great returns. But uh, you also have to know that there's been a huge market increase where we are in this part of the market cycle. So you have to really split the returns and figure out what portion of that is because this person's a great operator and what portion of this is because of the market. And it's good that they're in these great markets, but it's also important to know that when there's a pullback, returns will be generated by good operators. They're not just going to be generated by a great market. So make sure that you take that into consideration. Another thing too is inflation. With inflation, you have to work that into your investments and figuring out what the true return is on your money. Next is real estate crowdfunding platforms. While a relatively newer phenomenon, real estate crowdfunding has been around since 2012, after the Jobs Act was passed that allowed crowdfunding to be used as a way for private companies and private investment projects to raise money from the public, and also completely passive. Now, returns. Uh, returns, so for example, Fundrise has delivered a compound annual rate of return of 11.49%. Uh, thanks to a uh, financialsamurai.com that gave us that return across all their deals since 2013. This is good, but I have earned more than twice this in passive syndication investments I've made over the same period. So it's very important that you, when you're looking at these investments, just because you're on one of these platforms, you want to make sure you're comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges, and you want to make sure that uh, for the risk you're taking on, that the return meets that but you're not getting over uh, your head with the with the risk that you're uh, or you're accepting for these deals. You know, lots of these deals will have very high returns, but they might require a huge renovation or a huge, as we call it, heavy lift. And that's something that you probably don't want to take on as your first investment, especially as an active investor, but also as a passive investor, because it's very risky. Active long-term investing, so purchasing many single-family and multifamily properties on your own. Active investing, but it's possible to be semi-passive investing. And what I mean by that is uh, when you're with these properties, if you have property managers that are helping you along the way and they're, they're yielding a lot of, uh, or fielding a lot of the calls that are coming in, that's gonna be making it more semi-passive. And that's kind of how you wanna do it. There's a lot of people that buy active long-term investments uh, properties and then they are full-time managing it, which doesn't make sense to me, but I've done it myself when I was younger. I would never do it again. But it's something that your goal is when you're buying these properties to make sure that your end game is having a professional third-party manager manage them or you have your own team that's managing them so you can really step away from it because that's what we're here for is cash flow and freedom. Next is turnkey investing for properties that have already been renovated and then just need to be rented out. And this is a great way of, this is a great way of investing for a first-time investor. Uh, caveat, I've never invested in turnkey investing. And I'll tell you right now because the money's already been made. The value has already been generated. You're buying a property that's ready to be rented out or has been rented out, say, for $100,000. And um, they are, uh, you get a renter in there that's paying you $950 to $1,100, let's say, a month. And uh, you know they might have bought that, your turnkey operator, for 65. 
and they could have probably put fifteen or twenty thousand dollars into it. They've already made their return on that, and they're setting a property for you that's already there, which is fine. Your first investments, make sure that they're very, very light, if any, uh, renovations, right? Very light lifts because there's going to be a lot of unknowns and uh, it's best to start with something very light and then move on to heavy renovations once you know what you're doing within the renovation space. And that's for everything. If you're flipping properties, same thing. Don't start with properties that need, you know, you're moving walls and, you know, punching out doors and all this stuff. I mean, you want to have something that's pretty straightforward that you can do, that you can sell, uh, that you can get some proof of concept before moving on to uh, larger, as we call heavy lifts. Next is value add investing for an investor who wants to do work but wants to build value equity initially. And uh, it's risk versus reward investing. And this is what we do as well, bundled in with our investment syndications. And with value add investing, what you're doing is that you're going to be finding properties where there might be some uh, parts of the deal that can be more efficient. Okay. So, number one is that there might be uh, a similar property next door that's getting another hundred. $200 a month in rent if you got your property to that level, um, such as condition-wise. So that's something that you can shoot for. Uh, the main thing we're looking for is we're looking for efficiencies on the expenses side because when you cut expenses, you can do that up, down, sideways market, doesn't matter, and adds to the NOI. And that's the, the best way, I feel, of safely investing. When you're getting those rent premiums and the rent bumps, which you will get if someone next door really is getting, if it's apples to apples and you're really getting $100 more or $150 more, and it's a very, very good rent comparable, that's awesome. But off the bat, like if you're buying this uh, mid-2020 during COVID, no one's raising rents. Even if you told investors uh, a year ago, hey, we're going to be raising rents for the next three years, uh, you're not raising at that time. And this is something that uh, if you can find inefficiencies, especially on the expenses side, that's something that you can fix in any market. And it's always my own adage is less units equals more volatility. So the more units you own a part of, even if it's not 100%, even if it's a little bit, uh, it's going to have less volatility in your returns. So thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, submit comments and potential show topics at globalinvestorspodcast.com. Look forward to two more episodes next week. See you then. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.